everyone has some sort of a closet that has become too small. A closet is no place to live, and I want to support as many people as I can in stepping out of that prison into the fullness of life that is waiting for them on the other side of that door. This is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching. Join me in listening to these coming out chronicles. Get curious about their stories and then go see what good things are waiting for you on the other side of your closet door. As you might know, we have just celebrated our one year anniversary of podcasting on the coming out chronicles. And I was saying the other day that, man, like we've not even scratched the surface of all the different kinds of coming outs that there can be. And I love the community that is formed from all of this. Um, and the, the people that have reached out and said, you know, a coming out that's happened for them from listening. And then also people that have reached out and said, I have a coming out. I want to share on the show. And so today's guest did just that. And I was so inspired that she brought this to us and that she wanted to share vulnerably. It's, it's a super tender subject. We're going to be talking a lot about women's bodies and particularly reproductive areas. So if you have a child in the room, it's probably not a great day to have them in the room with you. Um, But then again, we should normalize talking about it for everyone. So um, just know that it's, it's a tender subject today and it's, it's so beautiful and I can't wait for you to hear all of this. Katrina Grabner, it's so awesome to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. I am so excited about the topic that you're bringing here today. And I can't wait for you to share your story. And I know that it's going to open up some things for many others and, and create space for other people to dialogue about this. So thank you for being willing to share this. Yeah, my pleasure. So hop into it. What is the coming out story that you're bringing to us today? Yeah, my coming out story is about my decade plus experience of living with chronic sexual pain as a person in a body with a vulva and a vagina and the particular um, intricacies of navigating that within the medical system and within our society. And so the coming out would be like becoming more public about it and sharing it with the world so that you can get transformation. Like what, what, what's the path been like for you? Yeah, I can start at the beginning. I think there's been many levels and layers of coming out. Um, And it's taken, yeah, I think the first one was just even really with myself getting comfortable with and owning the experience of what was happening for me. Um, Yeah, and then slowly starting to tell those around me. Um, But it started for me uh, in my very early 20s. And I, um, yeah, for most of my childhood had been a part of various Christian communities. And so that is a part of this story as well. And I was heavily influenced by that culture and I grew up in a smaller town in Alberta and so I I got married at uh, a young age I now live in Vancouver so it's very young for here (laughs) (laughs) yeah I was 21 um, and yeah and upon having sex I experienced a lot of um, like intense physical pain and and at first i think because in our society you know there's a lot of um talk or normalization of pain for women's bodies i thought okay maybe this is normal and it'll go away so i actually waited quite a few months trying to push through 
and see if something would change. Mm. And then I eventually worked up the courage. I was very young, so it was very scary for me to, to go to the doctor. And I remember, you know, like very intentionally going to see an older female doctor. I thought, okay, she'll believe me, maybe, I don't know. Um, and I remember going to see her and her, you know, telling me like, oh, like, honey, just relax more, have a glass of wine. And unfortunately, this is something that a lot of specifically people in women's bodies um, experience. And I felt so dismissed after that experience. I felt a lot of uh, shame. And I really took it upon myself, like, like, yeah, okay, maybe it's just in my head, even though a deeper part of me really knew, like, I don't think this is um, right. Like, I don't think like, I know that something very physical is happening to me. And I'm pretty sure this is something I need help about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah. if you summoned enough courage to go talk to your doctor about it, it's it's a like pretty legit thing. Yeah, and you know, and this is I didn't know this at the time, but this is so common. You know, the statistics show that like twenty percent of persons with um, vulvas and vaginas experience chronic pain upon penetration, mm-hmm. um, and so the fact that hearing that from a doctor is still so common for people Mm. with this experience um, and that the training isn't there um, is really sad. And so for me, what happened is I actually waited an entire year to go back to a doctor. Mm. Um, I felt, yeah, I felt a lot of shame and a lot of embarrassment. And so I just kept thinking, okay, I'll fix this myself. And I turned to Google and read like everything I could get my hands <laughs> on at the time. And at the time, I don't, how old am I now? <laughs> it was like 14 or 15 years ago. Um, there was not a lot of information out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then over the course of this journey, you know, it took me actually six years and seeing over five different medical professionals um, and two misdiagnoses um, before I finally got uh, the correct diagnosis. And that's unfortunately really common. Once again, I'm sure there's going to be listeners who've gone through this experience um, of, of waiting and waiting, um, going from doctor to doctor. Um, and so common diagnoses that people often have with this are is vulvodynia or vaginismus, um, often pelvic pain, endometriosis, but there's a lot, I'm not going to name all of them, but there's a lot of other conditions um, that can lead to this experience. And unfortunately, I had a super rare very rare condition. And so I actually saw quite a few gynecologists um, who didn't catch this. And each time I would go, it was such a big, it was such a big deal for me to be going (laughs) to a doctor. And some, you know, one of them gave me like these dilation, uh, dilators made out of wax. And I just tried for years, years to try to make this Mm -hmm. uh work and the you know over the course of the six years I just was so discouraged and so isolated in it and that's Mm -hmm. really what I want to talk about is I think for most of us who experience this there's a lot of shame and our society doesn't give us a lot of like models or ways of talking about sexual experiences that aren't great Mm -hmm. we often don't hear from our friends when they're having experiences not just when it comes to physical pain but you know emotional um hardships or frustrations 
um, it's not a normalized conversation. And so I also did not know how to bring this up with my friends, with mm -hmm. my community. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be so lonely. And I'm guessing had repercussions in your relationship too. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think the two, I was married at the time and the two of us um, were dealing with so many layers of disappointment around that. And, you know, one thing I spent a lot of time learning about since then is something called the coital imperative, which is really just around, you know, heteronormative um, norms around penetration during sex and the ways that that is um, so um, pushed on everyone as the normal mm -hmm. and right way, the good way to have sex, whatever that means and how damaging that is um, really for everyone in our culture and how limiting mm -hmm. that can be as well. And, and I think, you know, being a part largely in that period of my life in, in Christian culture, there was even more, I think for me, I had picked up on, on, um, yeah, just like right ways to, for me to try to be as like a femme, like as a woman, whatever that means. But I remember just, and I think this is a common experience just, you know, from doing so much research over the years is, you know, often there's an experience of feeling like you're not, like you're not good enough as a woman. If you're with a male partner, experience feeling like a failure, if you can't have this one type of penetrative sex. And so I was with a really actually loving and, and gentle, gracious partner. And I was the one who was putting so much pressure on myself um, to be able to, to not experience pain during this sex mm -hmm. act. And and yeah, I they, you know people often say when you're experiencing difficulties within your within your sex life, it often amplifies kind of other issues. And that was definitely my experience. You know, there throughout uh, the ten years of this experience, there were other um, traumas and losses that I experienced that were really big. And I think all of it just started to compound one another. Um, and so even though I was seeing all these different professionals, which what's interesting is also throughout that experience at no point was I offered um, any um, counseling, psychological supports. Only at one point when I asked, um, was a referral made and it, and it wasn't, um, it wasn't the right uh, fit for myself for, for what my experience of um, chronic sexual pain had been. And so I was in my 20s, I was a student and working at nonprofits. And so I started paying like quite, I like, I'm like, how much money did I spend throughout that period? So much seeing counselors on my own and then bringing my partner to see couples counselors, just always, it was just like this experience of always trying to, to fix what was going on and mm. um, working so hard and really being often in a state of, of overwhelm in my system. You know, and now I'm a trauma therapist and so I do <laughs> lots of learning around the nervous system and I just recognize the ways that for, for so many years there was this, um, yeah, experience of overwhelm that my body was in. Um, and so, yeah, I'll just share a little bit about, I finally did, I worked really hard to actually get a diagnosis. And so this is also really common in this experience that we have to become very educated and we have to become our big advocates, even if we're young and in our 20s, don't know what we're doing necessarily. 
um, and how that takes a lot of emotional energy to have mm -hmm. to push that hard. And even just recognizing for myself as someone who, you know, is cisgendered, I have white privilege. And for me, this lit, like really felt like a nightmare experience to navigate in our medical system. And I can only imagine how much worse that is when perhaps you're indigenous or black person of color, if you're queer, if you're trans, if you're non-binary, just the, the layers that you have to constantly be pushing through. Mm -hmm. And so what happened for me is I actually saw an ad in the newspaper when we still, or when I was still reading physical newspapers <laughs> for, I think it was like a Volvidinia clinic, maybe a Regina Smith clinic in Vancouver. And I remember calling the number and thinking, this is weird. I'm just like, I'm so desperate. I'm just calling this research number in the paper. And I called and then I, I was given like a six month wait to see the specialist. And then I, I was like, put kind of like all my hope in this one meeting, like this was my last shot it felt like and I'll never forget going there and, um, and the gynecologist um, examining me, which is always a big experience, like so much overwhelm and fear, trauma coming up for me. And then she's examining me and she realized that I actually, what I had was not vaginismus or vulvodynia, but I had a partial transverse vaginal septum, which is like a tiny little piece of skin um, that usually when we're in utero, we'll just kind of, um, you know, absorb into the outer walls. But for me, part of it was still there. And I'll never forget how incredibly validating that was, because for mm. six years, what I had always thought was, like, I swear, I'm being pinched, like, I swear, the feeling is my skin being pinched. And yet I had overrode what I knew was happening. I was like, well, maybe it is in my head. Like no one seems to think it. Like maybe if, if I just relax enough, this will work. And I'm trying to breathe through it and visualize, I don't know, like opening, like I was doing everything. And in the end it was like, no, like you, you knew it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was also so disappointed that I didn't qualify for their research because <laughs> I had waited. And so then I was referred to this, like one of only a few specialists in all of Canada. And I waited another, I think it was eight months to see this person. So wow. it's a lot of stretches of waiting and isolation. And throughout this period, I think I maybe started to tell a couple of my friends. Um, but what I remember of that time is just always thinking everyone was having like the best sex but me. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think that's common because we it's not often safe for us to have these or normal for us to just have conversations about what our sexual experiences actually are. And of course, sometimes it is mind blowing and wonderful and we wanna talk about that. Uh, but a lot of times it's kind of messy and complicated and we're just figuring it out. So I often wouldn't tell friends. Um, and I think, you know, for part of that time I was still pretty active in Christian community. And so that definitely played into my feelings of comfort, like sharing about this and wanting to fit in. Um, and then later not being in that community, but being a part of other communities and thinking everyone was just having like, I don't know even how to, like mind blowing, like sexual mm -hmm. experiences all over the place. And so never like just not wanting to voice like, well, hey, I'm over here and you know, it's kind of like a nightmare for me. Like, it's really hard. I don't know 
I'm having a hard time finding other ways to be sensual and to experience myself as a sexual being, to experience myself within my body and feeling connected and good in my body. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another part of this. It's not just the isolation, which takes a huge toll. It's also the disconnection from body that happens mm-hmm. and the, the feelings of, I think often like self-hatred or, you know, for me, it was like just this deep feeling of like disappointment, like, like I was being failed by my body or being let down mm-hmm. um, by my body. And, and that that was also a very spiritual experience because of course, mind, body, spirit, they're all woven together. And so just really a sense of, of feeling kind of detached or un, uncared for maybe in the world is kind of the sense that I was embodying often. Um, and then just feeling, you know, and I hear this often in the people I'm working with, and it just so resonates with me, just kind of being in this liminal, like this, maybe liminal is not the right word, but a gray space of always waiting, like always hoping, oh, maybe this will be the day I get the right diagnosis and something finally changes. And starting like after so many years, it just felt like this, like that'll be the moment my life finally works out when I can finally have penetrative sex. If Mm -hmm. that could just happen for me, Mm -hmm. things would be okay. Um, And of course, you know, that's not the case. What did happen is I did wait a long time and what ended up needing to happen for me, which is really rare. My story is very rare with this. You know, for a lot of people, it's, you know, a combination of physical therapy and some um, like psychological support sometimes. Um, But for me, I needed to have a surgery. And so I waited also a very long time for this very special surgery It was a very big deal in my life. And I finally had it. And, and then if, yeah, in the months following that, um, it did help a bit in some ways, but it did not, it did not radically change the pain that I was experiencing in sex. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think what had happened is that some Um, is that vaginismus was also happening and some trauma, I think, from the medical system and from just the many ways that I had now experienced um, overwhelmed in my body when it came to anything to do with penetration or sexual pleasure. And so that, I think that was one of the deepest disappointments. It wasn't like the waiting, like there was always hope. It was once I finally got what I thought would be the fix and that not being it, that there was just like a, like a profound, like crushing sensation in my, in my spirit. This episode was brought to you by Centered Life Coaching. Have you heard the good news? The Flame Tree Collective flight is delayed. We're waiting for you. We're paging the last few passengers of the flight because we want to have this stacked team of amazing people and all the different archetypes represented. And you might be the missing piece. So head on over to centered.ca slash collective and get more info, take the Gene Keys quiz and get in touch with us if you'd like to connect about it. And that's really when things started to shift for me. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm getting to 
to to where the the coming out and and the shifting started to happen and i should mention throughout this whole period and i think definitely walking through some other big griefs and traumas in my 20s um like my biological father passing and some other stuff and then this like this definitely for me was like an equal loss for me um really led me down a path of yeah of questioning everything and questioning um the spiritual path that I had been on at that point and so in my late 20s um I started going through an experience of deconstructing my Christian faith a common word Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know if I love it but I yeah maybe like reintegrating finding a new um a new path that was more expansive and more um a fit for for who I am as a person that was happening and at the same time that that was happening um my partner and I at the time were were realizing that um that our relationship was was not healthy enough for us to stay in it um and we had gone to yeah many years of counseling working so hard um, and that was that was really hard that's another <laughs> form of coming out when you mm-hmm. get a divorce and you've been in a christian community and so that was like you know my whole world up until that point was really changing radically and that really um but there was a lot of freeing that happened and a lot more like learning that it's okay to change. It's okay to change my mind. It's okay to let go. It's okay to step into to new unknown experiences. Um, and before that, I had decided, you know, I had a, for a long time, a strong pull. I knew deep down inside that becoming an art therapist, becoming a trauma therapist was the path that I felt deeply called to. And so I started walking that path as well. And so all of this was happening. And I started to go to a college called St. Stephen's College, which is a really wonderful, um, integrative, holistic space, very small community. And it was through um, doing art therapy courses, these week long, Uh, immersive experiences that the shifting started to happen for me and a lot of it is because you know art therapy is a very it can be depending on how it's practiced but it can be a very somatic a very embodied process and so I was doing a lot uh, you know even using finger paints working clay really getting into my body and there's a wonderful therapist called Pat Allen who uh, writes something along the paths of, of the path of art is a tutorial in the process of intuition and mm. I just started to really walk down this path of learning to to listen to the truth of what was actually going on not just what I not just what I wanted to be going on, but about the ground of, of who I was and, and what felt true to me. Um, and so that was the first time that I was starting to do, you know, make artwork that explored and held these, um, the story. It was really holding this story of, of pain Um, that I had been living in and then being able to um, to physically have it held by the Mm -hmm. art so I wasn't just holding it there's an externalizing that happens and it allowed me to start to have some distance from it so I wasn't just so completely in it and then the experience of having that witnessed by others was really transformative And so I started getting used to, like I was taking big like baby steps of having this story witnessed. And from there I started to to tell tell more people. Um, And in this process, I'm going through divorce, 
going like yeah just being out in the world in a different way than I'd ever been in my 20s um, I was spending a lot of time at an island you know Nancy Bowen Island mm -hmm. I'm spending just like mm -hmm. four or five days at a time in the woods like really it's it reminds me of Mary Oliver and how she talks about you know like the trees saving her I just felt like the ocean was holding me and saving me and washing over me. And I was just really, um, yeah, really honoring what my needs were at that time. And so, yeah, around that time, I, this is a few years later um, from the surgery, and I had, you know, a really surprising experience happen for me, which is really rare. That's, it's a rare situation, um, I think, um, for many people. But what happened is that I did begin to have sexual experiences again. And what I realized is that I was now pain-free. Mm -hmm. And it was like the biggest shock of my whole life like let me mm. tell you it blew my mind I'll never yeah I just it still I'm like that is so surprising because for 10 years I thought this was like this was my life and this is what it would be and I just had really given up any hope um of yeah of, of physical experiences of healing um and so, but that wasn't the end. In a lot of ways, that allowed me to, to free up brain space from the constant worry of what was happening in my body. And that allowed me to start the long process of emotional healing. And once that I was on the road with that is when I really started coming out to family and friends talking about it. And I was working on my capstone, this final um, uh, experience where I developed something in school um, that, you know, can give back to community. And I wasn't sure what I would do. And for a while, I thought, well, maybe it will be related, but I'm still so in it. I don't know if I can go there right now because I, I don't know what's going to happen for me and it's really hard when you're still so in it um, but this was a little a little later on and I felt something shift and there was just a click and I just knew in my gut it was like oh this is it this is what this is what you're being called into and so I did like a year of yeah research and developing uh, an art therapy group for persons with vulvas and vaginas living with chronic sexual pain. And, you know, doing the research part was so validating. I think that's another layer that really changed my life, like just hearing over and over again, the stories of other people and the ways that they also experienced that dismissal those relationship struggles, that isolation and the shame, and just realizing the total lack of research when it comes to um, bodies with vaginas and vulvas, and just the need, the need for also not just the medical system to evolve and change, but also for counseling and psychology to really get on board and to start also doing research and having supports that address that experience because there's so many um, ways that that we're needing to be supported in the whole process and those years where we're waiting diagnosis those six years we're needing community and we're needing supports and so I feel like the most healing has happened the last two years, like writing um, my capstone and really 
because people would ask me, what are you working on for your capstone? And family would ask me, and I'm writing a lot about shame and <laughs> stigma in my papers. And then like a male family member will ask me what I'm writing. And I just feel myself, you know, constrict <laughs> and I freeze up. I'm like, oh, this is the moment where I share what I'm doing. Okay, this is happening. It's time to practice this and you know, I can't even tell you the number of times that I've shared what I've been working on and someone will say you know very quietly oh my partner has experienced this you know the whole time we've been together um, mm -hmm. or someone will be like oh my best friend this has been their experience why don't I connect you to to her or to them. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the next layer of healing has just been in coming out and sharing my story. Um, I really feel the experience so differently in my body now. Mm -hmm. There's, um, when I think of it in an embodied way, you know, we're often talking about noticing the language of noticing and noticing constriction or tightness and cues in the body and openness and I just sense in my body talking to you oh it feels so differently now there's a lot more space in my body for holding this experience and that's you know my hope for others is bringing people together so we're not carrying this for years and years on our own in shame and silence. I, yeah, like, thank you. This is incredible. Thank you for speaking it out loud and thank you for living it, like being this living testament to it. Um, like you and I met 15 years ago, probably, probably right in the heart of all of this, actually. Yeah, and I, I, I had no idea any of that was happening. You and I met in a pottery studio in the basement of our church in Vancouver, and we would just do pottery together. And hearing, like, I haven't spoken to you since then, really, like probably it's at least been seven or eight years since we've spoken. And your voice is different. Your embodiment is different. Your openness is different. There's so many changes that I can see in you. And it's like, it's so so special to get to see the back hear the backstory of how you've come to be living this new embodiment and all that you had to go through and all that you willingly went through and the beautiful things that are opening up for you now yeah thank you for reflecting that back that's encouraging to hear mm -hmm. yeah well would you say is your next coming out like you're you're kind of living it but is there like a more even more vibrant next stage of coming out for this or something else in your life yeah I I was pondering this question a lot today well I think one thing that I noticed about today's conversation that I was thinking a lot about I was like oh this conversation is totally going to out me publicly that I was part of a church and mm -hmm. that's interesting for me I mean a lot of people know this about me but um, I worked pretty hard I think at my the last six years um, at my past jobs um, keeping that like as under wraps as I could and yeah, so I wanted to just name that, that I, I had a real moment and even just I'm like, oh, yeah, future clients, I'll, you know, they might find this podcast. That would be great because I'm wanting to normalize uh, this conversation um, and they're going to know that I <laughs> that I was a Christian. And um, and so unpacking like, yeah, that's interesting, the shame that I that I carry from that. And so I was thinking a lot about that, like when we think of you know, coming out, there's often, yeah, layers of, of shame kind of keeping that down. But I was thinking, well, what is it necessarily all about? And I, and I just want to name um, 
I think part of that is, is guilt around different ways that I did participate in, um, in experiences that now I would see as being um, a part of white supremacy and a part of systems of colonialism. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, work around doing volunteering and nonprofit stuff, which is what I was really, um, you know, I was very much into the social justice part of that. And there was a lot of really important, beautiful parts of that. But earlier, you know, even as a teen, I was part of some stuff where now I look back and I'm like, oh, like, I don't even, I don't want my partner to know, you know, sometimes I'll have a thought and I'm like, I don't want my partner to ever know about this. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. But you know what, part of what I'm learning more and more about when it comes to, you know, being a person with white privilege is actually the importance of owning and naming and talking about those experiences. Um, and so I think coming out and, and really owning that I was a part of experiences that I now, um, you know, would not agree with and, and would say it wasn't helping necessarily other people, but it was rooted in, yeah, in, in, in white supremacy. And, and so, yeah, I just want to normalize that conversation as well as someone who works in nonprofits and as a therapist and in the healing community, a lot of times I'd rather not say it out loud, but I would rather quietly do the self-reflecting and do the work. But I love the writing of um, specifically of another somatic therapist named Resma Menikin who wrote the book, My Grandmother's Hands. And he is doing like incredible work and he talks a lot about the importance of um of white culture of persons with white um, privilege developing our own culture a culture where it becomes normal to own what we've been a part of and to talk about what we're going to actually be doing that is different and so i want to yeah, come out and, and, and name that I've been part of, you know, some systems that I'm not, that I don't feel great about. And that, you know, when it comes, and I'll even say the word, I'm like cringing right now. <laughs> I have a really hard time with the word, you know, mission stuff. I was definitely a part of, of stuff under that category. And, um, and I want to say it out loud, because it's important for me not to part of developing a new like a culture where we talk about this is is really sharing the ways I think for us the ways that I've changed that's where I'm going with this and I think you know looking back I'm like wow there's been a lot of big pivots in my life and actually this is kind of really amazing look at how possible it is for someone to change their mind and for someone to change their behaviors and opinions. And I'm, you know, I know that will keep happening and I hope it does. I hope I'm open to growing and changing. Um, and so I, I don't wanna be hiding in shame around mm -hmm. that anymore, but I wanna be walking in a path of, um, yeah, of, of showing, of actively showing, hey, this, it's important for me to keep listening and to keep changing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's one way I'm coming out right now. And then just thinking about the future, I'm like, but also, yeah, what is kind of the next layer for me? Um, you know, and the past year has really been incredible for me. I've been able to to apply for a grant. And so I've started running some online groups, um, art therapy groups for persons with vulvas and vaginas living with chronic sexual pain and doing workshops. And I'm really feeling this sense of, okay, I'm stepping into 
I'm stepping into something new. I'm, I'm stepping into a new, um, a new way of having, of having power in my body, which I think, you know, a lot of times, um, if you're in a body um, that is viewed as femme or female, um, there, yeah, it can be pressure to to make ourselves smaller or to to want to be smaller. And what I'm sensing is is an expansion um, of being who I am in the world. Yeah. And so learning to, yeah, learning to not, you know, I think even just mentioning what I was sharing before, I think it's a balance, like not taking up too much space in areas where it doesn't make sense as someone with white privilege, but also learning to take up more space as someone who identifies um, as a woman. That's also something I'm learning. And especially, you know, we're talking about sexuality. We're talking about sensuality um this is you know an area of growth and expansion for me Mm -hmm. and i love the connection between sensuality and creativity and i love that you like landed right in the middle of that because i know for myself if i'm feeling blocked in either of those areas i try and like amp up the other one and then it helps things flow better yeah that's so much of what it's been for me I don't I want to really plug also the book um, called Pleasure Activism written by um, this amazing um, queer writer and it really changed I think the way I practice as a therapist learning to yeah learning to lean into pleasure and really learning that pleasure is political and when we learn, um, you know, as persons who, who maybe are, um, you know, in with like having a vulvar vagina or, you know, identifying as LGBTQ2 plus or being BIPOC, when we are, you know, making space for our pleasure in the mm-hmm. world, that's very, that is a political act and I think what I love about art therapy is that it, you can slow down and just start to be with the senses, which really helps to ground us and help us to come into a more, using trauma speak, like a ventral vagal place, um, a more um, connected place inside ourselves where we can start to really connect deeper into our intuitive wisdom and really allowing our senses to to guide us in a in an embodied way um that's been that's been a doorway for me into sensuality and pleasure and i think a lot of us need you know some other doorways besides what we've been given which is often that coital imperative you know (laughs) penetrative sex Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's there's a thousand other doorways there's many there are many ways to to explore um the side of ourselves totally when I was um first starting to like crack that doorway open of my sexuality I went to some Tantra groups and that was an amazing way for me to start to play with the energy within me. And like, it wasn't sexual at all. It was mostly this playful um, act of just like walking around the room, embodying as much masculine energy as I, as I can. And like feeling what that feels like to walk through the room and feeling what it feels like to encounter others with that. And then embodying as much feminine energy as I can and walking through with that and just like all these interplays that, yeah, we're not taught about, we don't have playgrounds to play in those often, but when, when we can get some of those exercises and experiences, it's such a gift. I love that. I love that you mentioned play. 
I love, yeah, I feel like my work more and more is just, well, I do, you know, half my work is often with children and families. Um, and then the other half is with adults. Um, but, you know, in equal measures, I think people often think, oh, yeah, you use the play and aren't therapy with the kids, but or not with, you know, not with like trauma survivors of, of sexual violence. That's not when you're using that. <laughs> I'm like, no way. Play is like play and creativity is our inherent resources. You know, there are our our um, the ways that we connect to our inner resilience. And what I love about that is, you know, we're all born with, with that connection to play and creativity and it's free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's free and it's there and it's waiting for us to, to rediscover. And it's okay to be slow about it because it can unearth pain and, and, and trauma. Um, but that process of rediscovery there's so much richness there um and it can be simple it can be and play you know play is both simple and complex Mm -hmm. totally so many layers so many nuances Mm -hmm. Uh, thank you for sharing this with us today thank you if people are you know, really leaning in and feeling like they need more support and something like this, like what's the best way to find you? Yeah, you can find me on my website, which is cultivatearttherapy.com. I'm also on Instagram where I post about upcoming groups and workshops, which is making things with cat. Um, I'm really, yeah, just at this point, really focused on cultivating community around this, I'm calling it the Arise Project. Um, And so I also want to open this up if there are any therapists listening or art therapists who are, you know, who feel like, oh, I would like to learn more about this. I would like to offer maybe a space or a group to my clients. Um, Something I've been developing is, is, is a, um, you know, little manual for how you might go about offering this type of a group. And so my hope is really seeing this expand across North America, because this is one in four persons with vulvas and vaginas um, living with chronic sexual pain. And so we need resources happening um, that are um, accessible all over in every city. And so Mm -hmm. if any part of this, you know, intrigued or brought up anything in you, please contact me. Um, I would love to collaborate and and to just have more of these conversations where we're, yeah, shining the light on what is often kept secret. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. I'm excited to see it go worldwide even and help all people with vulvas and vaginas. Yeah. Awesome, Kat. Keep up the good work. Mm, Thank you. You too. (laughs) (laughs) Will do. Thanks for listening to the Coming Out Chronicles. If you enjoyed it and you think it would be helpful for someone else, please share it with them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on social. I'd love to support you in the next chapter of your coming out story. I can help you know yourself free yourself, and be yourself. Until next time, this is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching.